set apart, set apart. Open your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Hmm. Thanks, ministry team. Bibles to John chapter 14. We continue our journey in the gospel of John in the series called Miraculous. And uh, we continue the miraculous uh, reality here in our text. Uh, setting a context. Um, Jesus is having dinner with the twelve. Chapter 13. In chapter 13, one of the disciples leaves to betray him. Who is that? Judas. If you look in your Bible, if you have a red letter edition, you're going to see in chapter 13, there's some red letters. You're going to see in chapter 14, there's a lot of red letters. 15, there's a lot of red letters. 16, there's a lot of red letters. 17, there's a lot of what? Red letters. Uh, This is a time where Jesus is talking with the 11 disciples that are now remaining. And understanding the context, and uh, we talked last week in John 13, Jesus says the hour has come. That's really important. Because all up to this point, he's been talking about how the hour has not yet come yet. Not yet, not yet, not now, not now, not yet. But in John chapter 13, the beginning of it, he says the hour has come. The hour is referring to his death, his resurrection, and exaltation. We could in many ways say this is clearly one of the pinnacle points of redemptive history that is about to take place. And his death on the cross is literally hours away. We could say days, hours away. And this is the last night he spends with his guys. Now, growing up, I went to four different high schools in four different states. And uh, I vividly remember the last night with my friends in each of those places. And it was those nights where I would say you kind of cut the image. You cut the political correctness or you cut the other kind of stuff. And it's like, this is maybe the last time I see you guys. I got some things to say. Uh, You know what I'm talking about? You move, you go somewhere else, you leave home, you move into that next stages of life. And, uh, but now imagine that you know something that everyone you're talking to has no idea about. Bless their hearts, the disciples. They just don't know what's going to happen, but Jesus does. And he knows he's going to be crucified. He knows he is about to go and literally bear the brunt of man's hateful wrath. To be shamed before all those around. To be hung like a piece of carnage on a cross. To receive the full wrath of the Father as a result of mankind's sin and He knows all of that is right around the corner within, we could say, hours away. And now he has something to say to his guys who are going to pick up the baton from there. Would you not think this is a big night? Can we agree this is a big night? Okay, guess what? Part of the trouble with preaching through this big night is we got to break up this big night. And it's like, take it week by bite by bite by chomp by chomp. And yet this is a whole time together and I'm going to work as hard as I can to keep that understanding because what we said last week carries over into this week. What we say this Sunday is going to carry over into the next Sunday and the ones ongoing. Last Sunday, John chapter 13, Jesus is there before Judas leaves and Jesus talks about the love. He talks about the love. 
In fact, here's the image that we used last Sunday, if you weren't here for that. This little girl asked you the question, where's the love? Well, the point was is that Jesus is showing him where the love is supposed to be. And what he does in chapter 13 is he goes, he takes off his robe, he grabs a towel, puts a towel around his waist. Why does he do that? We did that because we talked about last Sunday that he wants to look like the lowest servants of servants. And not only did Jesus wash their feet, which we don't get in our culture reality, we just don't get that. No matter how hard we try, we don't get it. But he's doing something that is reserved for the lowest of the low servants. And I'll tell you, I think the thing that most amazes me out of that whole passage of John chapter 13 is the fact that he dressed the part on purpose. So that when he was washing their feet, it wasn't like a confusion of the rabbi, uh, the son, the, the one he'd been talking about washing their feet. It was like he looked like the lowest of the lowest servants and washing their feet. Are you kidding me? Get out of here. No, get here. And then Jesus finishes it up. In fact, let's take a look at the end of chapter 13 to keep the context going. Verse 31, when, uh, when Judas had gone out, he said, let's jump down to verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. By the way, the you is to these guys, his men, his followers. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. In case you didn't get that part, love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If, in case you didn't get those other two, if you love one another. Really important. Who's the love supposed to be directed to? One another. That's huge. Uh, The scripture tells us we're supposed to love the world. We're supposed to love other people. No question about it. We're supposed to love people outside the walls. But please understand, this commandment is directed to God's people inside the walls. Us. And Jesus starts out the night when he knows he's about to die. And in the last point in time, he has to tell his guys, he says, listen to me, guys, look me in the eyes, guys. I'm telling you, love one another like I just did. You know what I just did? Dress the part, did the part. You know what? I expect and in fact, I command you to do that to one another. Are we being that kind of church? It's interesting. All people know you're my disciples if you love one another. You know what? We don't need any new fancy programs. We don't need any new fancy anything. If God's people would just take on the call to love one another like that, we would rock this world. And that's the call. That's where he starts at. Pretty hard stuff, isn't it? Like right at it, right at it, baby. He keeps going. Because now what's going to happen is he gives a command to love. Now he equips them because he knows they are about to be utterly blown away in their lives and lost and confused and hurt. Hey, have you ever gone through troubling times in your life? Uh, that's one of those duh kind of questions, isn't it? We all know trouble. We all know trouble. I want for you to know that your Savior, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, your Savior has sought to equip you to handle trouble. The passage we're about to read is clearly leading to the cross, but there's so much application in this that we're going to be focusing on this trouble reality. In fact, Uh, Let's go to the next slide, Chris. Has your life ever felt like this? Maybe it is right now today. Where for you, as you're pursuing life and pursuing Christ in it, even though it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm tied into the rock and the whole deal going on, right at the moment I just feel like I'm about to lose grip. I want for us to understand as we go through this, the disciples are about to have their life crash in on them. 
And so Jesus here equips them. And, and today, what I'm going to be doing is giving us eight assurances to hold on to in times of trouble. This is going to be very, I'm taking what's going on and seeking to be very practical with it. There's eight. I don't like giving this many because after a while, we have a hard time retaining this many items, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to go through eight. I want for you to keep these notes, keep them in your drawer, keep them on your mirror, because in times of trouble, these are the ones we cling to. Okay, ready? How many of these are there? Eight. Eight assurances to cling on to in our lives. Hey, let me pray as we get going. God, I pray as we just open your word here and dig in more that we would just take it in. Lord, I pray that the truths you communicate here on the last evening that you have with your men who are about ready to carry the baton, even though they don't quite know they're about ready to carry the baton, you equip them and you help them. Just that alone is an amazing, amazing thing that you do. Father, I pray for people in here right now who may be going through some real times of trouble right now. I pray as we go through this that your word would be used by the Spirit of God just to encourage them, help them, and to see beyond the time of trouble. And Lord, for the rest of us who aren't presently going through a time of trouble, we will. And I pray that we would hang on to it. In your name we pray, amen. All right, you had John chapter 14? Ready to roll? Let's start in John 13. Here we go. Uh, verse 36, the first point, know he knows. In times of trouble, know that he knows. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? He says that because up in verse 33, Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot come. But Jesus, Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. That's encouraging. Uh, Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? <laughs> I will lay down my life for you. Way to go, Pete. Um, have you noticed at times that uh, we think more highly of ourselves than we are? This is one of those times that just sticks out where we oftentimes think our faith is greater than what it really is. Yeah, bring it on, God. I can take it. That kind of thing. And look at Jesus here. He's not laughing, but he's more like, oh, will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Seriously, come on, dude. Think about what you're saying for a moment. Truly, truly, I say to you, I don't think he says it with any joy, just with reality. Peter, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me. How many times? Three times. Then look at chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. By the way, he makes that same statement. Let not your hearts be troubled when we come into verse 27. How sweet is this? Jesus has an evening with his guys. He's given them a command, and now he's helping them to let them know. Hey, listen, God's people, there is a way that you can let your heart not be troubled. Listen to what he has to say here, okay? That's his point. Let not your hearts be troubled. And the first part of that is the fact that we can know that he knows. In chapter 13, in the beginning, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus knew that his hour was coming. By the way, that's future, what's about to come. 
Also in chapter 13, in verse 3, he talks about that he, he, uh, uh, he knows that the Father has given all things into his hands. That's what's coming. He also knows in verse 11 that Judas is going to betray him. He knows that. Now at the end of chapter 13, he says, Peter, listen to me. Look at me in my eyes, Peter. I know you're going to deny me three times. I want for us to know this. He knows. One of the hardest things in times of trouble, it is for me, it is for all of us, is that we don't know. Why is this happening? Or, why is this not happening? I want to know. I deserve to know. Really? I wonder if later on, if Peter was like, actually, I really wish I wouldn't have known that he said that. Hey, here's, here's the hold. He knows. Hey, if you're in troubled times right now, he knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what he wants to accomplish out of it through you, in you, and around you. He knows exactly all of that. He knows. Somebody knows. Well, I want to know. No, no, you see, this is where we come and we seek to push him off the throne seat and we seek to put ourselves on the throne seat. True? I want to know. Um, excuse me, but... I think everybody's forgetting in here that I'm the Lord, Jesus is saying. Hey, friends, Jesus, the Godhead, knows. Hang on to that one. Hang on to that one. In fact, look at chapter 13, verse 7. I think this is a verse that could kind of be taken and applied to our situations. Chapter 13, verse 7, Jesus answers uh, this question from Peter, Lord, do you wash my feet? And he says, listen, Peter, what I am doing, you do not understand now. Boy, that can happen in times of trouble. Just remember, Jesus is saying, listen, what I'm doing in this, you don't understand right now. But look at the end. But afterwards, you will hang on to that one. He knows. He knows, and I can cling on to that. Not only does he know, but secondly, the other uh, item we can grip onto is no heaven. No heaven. Let's read verses uh, one through four, chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house uh, are many rooms. He's talking about heaven. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. He's talking about heaven here. A couple of things about heaven. Number one, we see that it's a real place. Heaven's a real place. It's not just some ideology. It's not a state of mind. It's not some series of progressive advancements. It's an actual place and it exists now. Not only is it an actual place, but it's an amazing place. What is it? It's an amazing place. It's amazing because this is God's place. This is where the Trinity resides. I would think the Trinity has a pretty awesome place, wouldn't you? Pretty awesome. In fact, in the word, it talks in verse 2, the, the word for house means rooms, dwelling places. I mean, heaven is perfect. It's awesome. It's eternal. And yet, does heaven have this ring for you where maybe it could be boring? Um book just read greg gilbert what is the gospel in fact if uh, 
if you're going to be thinking about taking this specialty small group with Karen and I here on discussions on dating for post-high school up into 30s, if you're single and like to be a part of that, we'd love to have you be a part of this. We're actually going to include this in that discussions on dating. But what, is, what does the gospel have to do with dating? Um, like everything. Uh, by the way, the dating class, it's not going to be how to do high school dating. Okay? Just so you know, this is like premarital counseling dating. This is gonna, I wish we had this. Okay, back to the book. Here's what Gilbert says. I used to think as a child that the Christian's destiny was to spend eternity in a never-ending, disembodied church service. Has that been your thought? And that was a scary thought, he says. But it was utterly wrong. God intends to create for his people a new world. Listen, this whole idea, and if you want to do some more reading on heaven, go to Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. Uh, but in this whole thing, it's like this heaven, we're just going to go up there and we're just going to sit there and be like monks going, oh, you know, the 24 elders falling down 24 hours a day. And we're all like, this seems boring after a while. Uh, friends, this is, this, this is like going to rock. This is going to be so amazing. Can't even fathom. It's a whole new world. We're going to be living, residing. And he talks about it's free of sin, death, and sickness. War will end. Oppression will cease. God will dwell with his people forever. Never again will any of God's people suffer death. Never again will tears burn our eyes at a graveside. Never again will an infant live but a few days and then die. Never again. Never. Never again ah, will we mourn or hurt or weep. Never again will we long for home. For as Revelation tells us, God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes and we will finally see his face. It's the new heaven. It's the new earth. The heavenly city into which nothing evil ever enters. The world emptied of death, of war, oppression, and resurrected people of God living joyfully, living joyfully before his face forever. In times of trouble, remember, we live in a dot on the line of eternity. Heaven's coming. How does a person in another country of the world that we really don't understand, how do they survive through jailing and even martyrdom? What's the hope? Heaven. Hey, friends, we're on a dot. We're on a dot of the line of eternity. Heaven's coming right in the corner. Oh, by the way, remember, notice in there the text, it talks about how Jesus is going to prepare a place. I have a question. What was Jesus's, uh, let's say, career in his incarnate state? Carpenter. I'll bet he knows how to build. Right? Isn't that interesting? I'm going to prepare a place. I was a carpenter. I got this back down. And it's going to be awesome. He's no heaven. Third, know the way. This leads right into us from what we were talking. No heaven. And in the text, it leads to the way. Look at, look at verse 5. Uh, five and six. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. Now, the text goes on, but I think I'm going to pause here just for a second because I think grammatically and contextually, the emphasis here in his language is on the way. Because the question is, how do we know where we're going? How do we know how to get there? And Jesus is answering that question. I'm the way. Uh, I am the way. Uh, and the truth and the life. The one who is of the truth, the one who is the life, he's the way. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. Thomas asked him, what's the way? Jesus answered, I am. I am the way. It's a definite article. It's not an undefinite article. It means it's the way, not a way. We live in a world today where everybody has their way. That's fine, but guess what? It doesn't match with Scripture. There is one way. One way through the way. And the way is a person. Okay? We cannot ritualize our way to heaven. We cannot earn our way to heaven. We cannot philosophize our way to heaven. We cannot moralize our way to heaven. There is only one way, and it is through a person, Jesus Christ. And Jesus so mediates the Father's truth and life that he is the very way to the Father. He is the very way to the Father's house. Now, we're not talking about do you know about Jesus Christ. I remember going to the University of Minnesota and taking a religious class, and I was like, this dude knows about Jesus, but he doesn't know Jesus. I mean, this guy knows some of the Greek. This guy knows some of the other things about the Bible. He knows a lot of information, but he doesn't know of Jesus. Uh, The Bible talks about how demons know who Jesus is. And they're not redeemed. Matthew chapter 7 says, Lord, many will call me Lord, Lord. uh, But I will respond as though, uh, as saying, I never knew you. Yeah, but Lord, we did miracles in your name. We did events in your name. I, I don't know you. Imagine coming before the gates of heaven. And there is the Godhead. Uh, and I'm coming to heaven, and I'm like, yeah! And they're like, who are you, by the way? Who are you? I know, doesn't that sound kind of harsh? But you see, what it should be is the kind of thing where it asks before the pearly gates. It's like, there comes Doug! Yeah, there, there comes the redeemed. The Godhead can be known. Have you come to a place where you've driven in the stake in the ground and received Christ as your Savior? And by the way, I don't mean that as some spiritual ritual ditty dance. I mean that as come to a place in your understanding where you know that you've been created by a holy God, as we have just sang about. That you've been created by that God, that you and I have sinned before that God, resulted in, because of His holiness, He's separated from us because of our sin. And that there is an opportunity to be redeemed back. But there's only one way. It's the way. It's Jesus Christ. Have you come to a place where you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Live for him. Not just know about him. If not, please come afterwards. We got some people down front afterwards. Talk to the person who came with you. You've got to get the way settled in. Got to get the way settled in. So in times of trouble, know that he knows. Times of trouble, know heaven. Times of trouble, you know the way. Jesus Christ, number four, in times of trouble, know the Father. Verse 7 through 11. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. (laughs) Man, I would be so right with these guys. Like, show me more, and then I'll be convinced. So look what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Wow, push, way to push him, way to make him think. And yet here now he comes and he teaches him and helps him. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This is a clear claim of deity. 
The words that I say to you, I do not speak on any authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. At least believe on those. It's interesting. The Father is listed 53 times in, from John chapter 13 to John chapter 17. 53 times. Jesus is talking about it, red letters. So there's a huge discussion going on about the Father and helping his people understand who the Father is. We don't have to wait to know the Father. We know the Father by knowing the Son. And how do we know the Son? We know the Son by the Word. We can know the Son, and as we see what the Son says, that's what the Father says. What the Son does, that's what the Father does. Listen, so often we kind of have the Trinity as this big capital M mystery. It's not that mysterious. God has given us the ability to peek into who he is. And you can know the Father, the Father as the Son. It's an amazing thing. It's hard for us to grasp a hold of. Know the Father. Uh, In times of trouble, let me put it this way. Ask yourself this. Who's my daddy? Who's my daddy? If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, get this. God the Father is your daddy. Boom! I can keep going. I can keep going. Fifth, no prayer. Verse 12 through 15. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Oh, I'm liking that. Uh, That the the, uh, Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me how much? Anything in my name. Now we forget to attach the in my name to the anything. I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, Okay. Wow, I'd love to spend some more time on this. Uh, But I'm going to kind of briefly understand this Uh, jesus is talking here and he's talking to his disciples and he's saying guys i'm telling you you have the opportunity to do greater things than i did what does he mean by that what does he mean by that does it mean that you're going to do more fancy things more supernatural things i don't think so i think it's pretty hard to uh to top raising lazarus from the dead would you not agree that one's pretty up there Uh, i don't think that's what he's talking about here I think this does have the aspect of greater in quantity. Because as we follow along, what happens when Christ returns, the Spirit of God comes, we see in Acts and what's following, we see some grand events taking place. And in fact, if we were to add them all up, there would be more than what Jesus did that we know about during his time. And so there's an aspect of quantity, but there will be greater works based on Jesus returning to the Father, bringing in the dawning of a new age, and when the cross is over and the risen Savior is exalted and the Holy Spirit has come, then the big picture greater is the power and clarity that mushrooms out into the new dawning of God's people as a result of the risen Savior. He's looking and he's going, listen to me. I need to go because when I go, more's going to happen. Greater stuff. And in fact, you can go to Acts and take a look. Here's Peter, one guy, one normal guy in Acts. He does one sermon. And it's not that 5,000 people show up. It's that 5,000 people are redeemed. 5,000 people repent in Christ and receive him as their savior. 5,000. 
Guess what? We don't see anything like that with Jesus doing in his time. No, it's not the quantity, but it's just the magnitude of a result of Christ returning and all that's now taking place, God showing himself in increasing greater and greater ways. Whatever you ask in my name. Now, this is something we end up kind of using like Santa, right? I would like a new car in Jesus' name. Boom. I would like a bigger house in Jesus' name. And it's, we think of it like this magic, whiffle-dusty word. Listen. Prayers are offered in Jesus' name. Prayers are granted at his will. It's not carte blanche. Jesus isn't my genie lamp. He's not your genie lamp. That's not what's going on at all. It's in his name. That means more... I'm talking what fits his name. I know his nature. I understand what he wants to accomplish. God, would you please remove these trials right now from my life in Jesus' name? Forgetting the whole reality of James chapter 1 talks about how, you know what? God may be on purpose bringing trials into my life to mature me, grow me, and use me for ministry that I don't even know about. And so instead, what Jesus would want me to be praying, and there's no reason to pray, God, please remove this. But yet if your will is the thing in your name, your nature is that you know that out of this is going to come grander things for you and grander things for me in knowing and serving you, then Lord God, help me stand up under the pressure and all the way through it. And God, let me get everything out of this trial that you have intended for it. Now that's praying in Jesus's nature and will. Okay? Let's not make Jesus our genie lamp. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about his glory. Let's not be so selfish when we pray. Let's not be that unobedient child on Santa's lap going, I want this and I want that. We don't want to be that, do we? Six, know the spirit. Know the spirit. Man, this is huge. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Now remember Jesus called himself truth. I am the way, the truth. You're the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it, is need, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Wow. I'd spend the whole morning on that, but I'm just going to briefly hit a couple things. John uses a very unique word here. He's the only one that uses it. I have the English Standard Version, New American Standard, uses the term helper. That's a great description, as long as we don't understand it like he's helping us on the swing set. Okay? You know what I'm saying? Here, just climb up. It's all about you. That's not what the helper's talking about. The New International Version uses the word counselor, and that's really true, Uh, but not a camp counselor, not a marriage counselor. This really kind of has the tone of more of a legal counsel. Uh, King James Version has comforter, and that's true as long as it's not kind of like Jesus is there to pat me on the head and 
you know, it's okay, it's okay, or he's not there to give me a comfort or blanket. That's not what this is talking about. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 1, John uses the same word in many of our Bibles. It's translated as advocate. Uh, the word literally has this idea of one that comes alongside to assist. One that comes alongside to assist. The Holy Spirit does not work instead of us or in spite of us. But God's desire, God's plan, is that he works in and through us. I don't honestly think that we quite grasp all that, you guys. I really don't. I think too often we end up seeing this idea that God is doing his thing, and he is, and we're just kind of here. And, and, you know, he calls us to get on his Jesus train and, you know, choo-choo. Um, and we kind of move in that way, but I don't have the time here, but the Spirit of God is sought to work in and through you and I. Get this, the Godhead wants to work through you and I. That, that's part of his plan. He's not just working outside of us and we kind of come along. He wants to work through us. That's why I come back to chapter 13. That's why it's so important that we love one another. Because uh, the Spirit of God is working through us ministering to each other as well side by side life on life philippians chapter 2 that's what's happening here in this whole holy spirit thing let me maybe consider it this way because the the, the word also has this idea of of this of the, the same as uh, like uh, like the one that just was in other words in other words jesus was alongside the disciples right Jesus was there alongside the disciples, ministering into his lives. But now what's going to happen? Jesus makes the comment, and it's like, I got to leave. Please let me leave. Things are going to get better when I leave because the redemption is done and all the things that are going to take place. And when the Holy Spirit comes along, it's not just the kind of thing where it's like we're walking along the Holy Spirit like Jesus. It's better than that. He dwells in you. He seals you. He knows you. Hey, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God resides in you, not next to you, not around you. Oh, and by the way, on this, uh, I'm trying, wanting to go into a whole talk on it, but I can't. The, the whole, you have been given 100% of the Holy Spirit. Okay, when the Scriptures talks about being filled with, being controlled by, it's not the kind of thing you receive Jesus as your Savior and you get 10% of the Holy Spirit and then God's going, when you're a good boy, when you're a good girl, I'll give you a little bit more because whoever's found faithful will get more. That's not what's going on. It's 100%. Kawamo! You got the whole deal. Our job is actually learning to live with the whole deal. You have 100%. You don't get any more as time goes along. You've got 100% of the Spirit of God indwelt in you, believer in Christ. Our gig is we got to understand how to live that way. Okay? So if you're kind of like, I just wish I had a little bit more God. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay? That's not what oh, Pee Wee Herman. No, don't do that. That's not what's going on. Listen. You have 100% of the Spirit of God in you. Brother, sister, in Christ, 100%. My problem is I'm not connected in enough to it. And I need to learn to do that. And God's given us his word to do that. 
hey, let's just pause here. I've thrown out six things to you. Let's just consider this. In a time of trouble, what if you just took a moment and considered these? Wait a second. Man, I, I'm not real thrilled with what's going on. I don't, this is hard. I don't even like it. I, it wasn't because necessarily a result of something I did sinfully. This is just something that's happening in my life. And this is tough. What if I just paused and thought, you know what? My Savior, my God knows. He knows. Oh, for a while there, I feel like nobody's knowing what's going on. But he knows. And then what if I were to keep going? Listen, I remember, not only does he knows, but not only does he know, but, but you know what? This isn't my long-term home. This is just for a little while. I, I can endure because heaven's my home. And not only that, but I know the way. I, I know the person who leads the way to heaven. I, I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. On top of that, because I know him, I know the Father. And out of all that, I have access to the Father, to the Son, to the Godhead through prayers. I've talked about here in prayer. Think of it as coming to the table. It's I'm coming to God's table. He's not coming to my table. I'm coming to the table. And here at the table is the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And if you will, right in front of me is God's Word. And I come to the table. And I'm bringing life to the table right here. What does the scripture teach me about the Godhead? I'm interacting with the Godhead in Jesus' name, his nature and his will. And I have 100% of the spirit of God indwelled in me, sealing me, securing me, helping me, encouraging me, comforting me, moving me along to growth. Oh, just, it's still trouble, isn't it? It's still not easy and it's still hard. But oh my word, grab a hold of those, my friends. Grab a hold of those. Well, last two and we'll finish it up. Number seven, no love. No love. Verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but another one of the disciples. Judas said to him, boy, wouldn't you not want to be that guy? You know, Judas number two. Uh, I changed my name. Uh, Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Great question. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Wow, this is a big one. No love. There is an uncompromising connection between my living out, doing the Christian walk, and my love for God. I, I have to ask this question. If you look at your life right now, and you look at your life, and you ask the question, where's the fruit in your life? And there's been no fruit in your life. You have to ask the question, am I really saved? I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about, am I really redeemed? Because look at the text. 
the person who loves the Lord for real is going to have fruit. That's why at Harvest we have the statement, uh, if your faith hasn't changed you, it hasn't saved you. Out of salvation, it's not just walking down the aisle and, and, and coming down, and I don't mean this rudely, but doing a, a religious ditty dance. I, I don't, that, and, and just doing that in that moment, and I just go on living my life. And if someone were to come and talk with me and tell their life there's been no change in their life, uh, I would, I don't know, but ultimately I would come back to a passage like this and say, you have to ask the question of this. Do you really understand the gospel and what it's all about? Have you really repented? Or have you just come to understand that God is like some magic genie that's there to warm you and hug you and remove any problems in your life? That's not the gospel. And Jesus says to live it. And by the way, if we're kind of at a place where we're like, you know what? Um, Obedience is the price I pay to be a follower of Christ. Um, No. No. Hear me. If you know Christ is your Savior, you and I get to follow and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? Would we want anything other than that? You mean I have to obey him? I have to? I get to. I so get to. Ephesians chapter 2, I was separated and hopeless, and, 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 but God in his rich mercy came and gave Christ so that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. The child of God. Booyah. Let's live that one out. It's not a crud. It's a, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. No love. Finally, no peace. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Oh, wow, awesome. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. By the way, the word is shalom. Shalom I leave with you, and my shalom I give to you. Uh, by the way, this isn't the world's shalom, uh, a small s uh, attempt at it. You know, the world just is like, you know what? Seriously, we can give peace. We can make peace. You know, right now in politics in America, seriously, vote for me, I'll bring peace. You know, be involved in the political process, but hear me out. The shalom doesn't come there. The shalom comes from the only one who knows shalom, has shalom, owns shalom. Uh, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you uh, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. I love that statement. Rise, let us go from here. We'll talk about that next week. Shalom. Shalom is used as a word of farewell peace, 
Uh, that's what's happening here. It's interesting. We'll see in chapter 20, I believe it is, where when Jesus rises from the dead and he comes and he meets people, guess what? First word, shalom. Uh, shalom is used as farewell and shalom is used as greeting. Right now, he's given his farewell shalom. Here in a little while, he's going to give his greeting shalom. He's back. Jesus has peace. Do you know the peace? Hey, these guys are about to have their lives totally blown away. And I love this fact. Our Savior is preparing them. And for us as well. Again, if when we hit times of trouble, we come back, he knows, he knows what's going on. Listen, I'm here, it's for a period of time. Heaven is the eternal reality. Uh, I know Jesus, he's my way, he is the way. I know the Father, I have access through prayer, and God says that in his name, great things can come out of it. I know the Spirit, I, I know the love reality, and that means that in this trouble, I continue on because to love him is to continue in my faith in him, even when it's times of trouble, knowing that he loves me as well. And he's the one who brings peace. And it doesn't make it easier on the emotional side. It doesn't make it more comfortable overall. But I'm telling you this, know these things and troubles will change how these look. Hey, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the time. God, thank you for your word. Lord, uh, You've given us so far in this evening a command. And that command is to love one another. Father, I pray that we would be a growing people in this reality, that we would love one another like you did. Humble, servant, submissive to one another. And Lord, one of the great ways we can love each other is by bringing these equipping truths to each other. Father, I pray just among us as a church family and in small groups that we would be a place that brings these kind of truths to one another. So when our brother, when our sister in Christ is going through a hard time, that we would come alongside them and encourage them with the truths out of John 14. That we would help them remember these truths so that they can persevere on with the right mindset in the right way and for your glory. May we be that kind of people. Lord, may we encourage one another with the words you've given us. And may we live the words you've given us. You are awesome. And we pray this in Jesus' name.